The scripture reading today is from Luke 4:38 through 5:10. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. One day, as Jesus was standing at the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Thanks, Katie. Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met before, I'm Rob, and I'm so glad you're here today. And you're so, so responsive. So responsive. It's all right. Uh, We're in this series called Restart, Rethink, Renew, and we're looking at what it means to have a restart and a renewal in our life. And what gets in the way of that? As you saw in the video, it's more about engaging our soul than about managing our activities, but what gets in the way of our lives? So there's a new thing that gets in the way. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a new phobia that came out in 2010 from the United Kingdom. It's called nomophobia. It stand, it's short for no mobile phone phobia. Uh, it is a real thing that is a fear of not being connected to your device or being able to use your phone for some reason. It, in fact, when they did the study in the UK, they compared the stress levels of not having your phone to the same as wedding day jitters or trips to the dentist. I know, right? Sorry, Leslie. So, Psychology Today did a study in 2014, and they found out that in the United States, that uh, this slide is even, it's even wrong, but 65%, so not 59%, but 65%, almost two out of every three people sleep with or next to their phone. Not a teddy bear, not a security blanket, their phone. And if you're 18 to 24, that number jumps to 80%. Okay? You guys need sleep. You need help. You don't, I mean... More than half of people never switch off their phone. Uh, 59% of people check their email as soon as it comes in. That's just 
insane. And 89% of people check it daily on vacation. 58% of people don't go one waking hour without checking their phone. And 84% of people, 84, 84% of people believe they couldn't go one day without their phone. Now, I've left my phone at home before and driven to work, and I'm like, <gasps> deep breathing, am I going to make it? One in five people would rather go without shoes for a week than go without their phone for a week. Okay, I know. That is a, that's a crazy way to like wreck your soul. Huh, 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 So... We're just defining the problem right now, okay? I hope you see that there's a problem. So in 2015, we're like, maybe it's not the United States or maybe it's not the United Kingdom. So Denmark, the Happiness Research Institute in Denmark said, let's do an experiment to see how social media affects our lives, if it affects our lives. So they conducted this study with almost 1,100 people in Denmark who were randomly selected and then half the group was randomly assigned to be in the control group you continue to use Facebook, because at the time, that was, it's still the highest one that's used. But you continue to use your social media every day like you do normally. And this half of the group, you're going to take a break from it for a week. Okay? You can you Google Happiness Research Institute, the Facebook experiment, just not right now. And you'll, it's a fascinating study. What they found out after a week was actually staggering. The people that went without Facebook for a week, and I'm sure this would be true of Snapchat or Instagram or any other social media, is that this group significantly higher levels of life satisfaction. In fact, an increase in their social activity and their satisfaction of their social activity. Because I would say they weren't watching what all their friends were doing, going, oh, am I totally missing out on all that fun stuff? They had an increased level of concentration. They had less stress. And they had less comparison. Which is probably one of my favorite slides. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. So that's, I think there's a problem as I have my phone on me right now. How many of you would say, be honest, we're in church, so it's a tough place to lie. How many of you would say, uh, one of the first things I do in the morning is check my phone? If you're in the front, you can turn around. There's lots of people with their hands. All right. No shame. Now, how many of you would say, one of the last things I do before I go to bed is check my phone? All right, now, how many of you can feel, feel compelled to check your phone at the airport? Okay, seriously, it's the airport. Yeah, exactly, you should check it. But how about while waiting in line? Any line? How many of you get the Disney app to make sure you're not in the wrong line? All right, and... Uh, let me see if we have police officers. And how many check it at red lights? See, beyond that, I think that many of us check it when we're bored. 
when we don't have anything else going on, or when maybe we're just not seeing this particular moment as precious. So we'll just pick up our phone and we'll just start scrolling through or playing a game. And what's happened is when our minds are in that place of nothing's going on, it's actually a chance to be idle. We don't have to think about something in that moment, but what we have done as a society is we started to distract ourselves with this. And so we're never actually having a, a place of being neutral. Um, studies are saying that like, we're, we're losing a whole generation that knows how to creative play or just play. And what's, what's I think even more disconcerting is that we're losing the ability to concentrate because of all the beeps and blings and notifications. And what's happening is not only are we losing this creative play but we, and our concentration, but we're having higher levels of feeling overwhelmed and we're not sure why. Or we're short with our coworkers or our kids and we're not sure why. Or spiritually, we feel exhausted and empty, but we don't know why. And yet we want more, but we keep going back to a source that doesn't provide it. And then we're not sure why we don't have meaning or peace or joy. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. I actually think we can find meaning, purpose, and joy. And I think it's about rethinking our priorities. And it's what I see in this reading that Katie read for us. Jesus is doing great ministry in this town. He's going on the public scene. People are coming to him from all over the place. Uh, He heals Peter's mother-in-law, so that means Peter's married. So Peter's not just some fisherman who has like a solo mind. He has to balance a family and work and all this. And and on the Sabbath, he heals his mother-in-law who then serves with them. And doesn't mean she worked, if you're worried about the Sabbath rules. But they dined together, they ate together, they talked together. And then at sunset, for a Jewish person, that means a new day is starting. Then all the people from town gather. And there's healing. And there's There's restarts, there's transformation. Successful ministry is going on. And yet, at first light, Jesus leaves. Even though he worked late into the night, he woke up early. It says, at first light, when the sun was rising, Jesus' first priority was to go to a solitary place. He didn't let his late night ministry starve or steal his first light intimacy, as a bunch of students are here from a lock-in of being up all night, which is a perfect example. Why does he go to the solitary place? Solitary place in the scriptures is often called the desert or the wilderness. In Hebrew, it's the same word. So if you start doing a a look-through of all the places that the Bible references the desert or the wilderness, guess what you find? You find a bunch of times that God encounters and speaks to people. Hagar went into the wilderness. She went because she fled from her master and God spoke to her right in that moment. Then Moses is tending sheep in the wilderness. Remember, Moses was the prince of Egypt, kills a person, tries to lead in his own way and has to run away. He runs away. He finds this place in the wilderness and God teaches him. 
and tends to his soul. And in this moment where he's tending sheep, he sees something that's slightly strange. He stops, he looks, and then God speaks to him in that place. Elijah and many of the other prophets, when they go into the desert or the wilderness, God speaks to them. Jesus is God's word and hears God's voice when he goes in the wilderness. The wilderness is always a place that God speaks. In fact, in the Hebrew, if you want the bonus points, the root word for wilderness is the same root word as what it means for God to speak. Jesus, I believe Jesus knows this. And so he says, at first light, first priority, I'm going to go to a place where I know God speaks. Even when people are looking for him, even when things, there are legitimate needs to meet, even when supernatural success is happening, he goes to that place where he can hear God's voice. Where he's able to say no to good things, to say yes to best things. You know, I thought I, I arrived at a place in my young adult life when I could learn to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things or bad things and good things. But it was a completely other learning experience to learn how to say no to good things so say yes to best things. And Jesus is able to say that. I think it's because he went into the wilderness. It's not an easy place. I mean, your life is laid bare in the wilderness. You feel vulnerable in the wilderness. There's no water in the wilderness. You have to learn how to sustain yourself differently in the wilderness. You have to really learn to have God sustain you in the wilderness. But the wilderness is always a place where God speaks to who you've been, who you are, and who you're becoming. I think that's why he's able to walk out of the wilderness when Peter says, everyone is looking for you. And he says, we gotta go. I've come. This is why I've come. So why don't you look at this verse with me? In fact, would you read it with me? It's a short verse. I think you can do it. Psalm 46.10. Ready? Be still and know that I am God. Can we do it again? Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Uh, I've sat with people who do spiritual direction who help you hear where God might be working in your life and then ask you questions about that. And one of the things that we've done to be still is we say the whole verse and then we take off a word and repeat the line. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. And if you slow it down, in about 30 seconds, you all of a sudden come to this place where you're like, I can be. What does it look like for you to be and be still? That's one of the ways it looks for me. And it's hard. I love activity. I love action. Ask my wife how many hobbies I have. Trust me. <laughs> Too many. 
this is part of what it means when we say at Restoration we're a community of people being restored by Jesus. We believe that we need Jesus in our lives if we ever want to have restoration. If we want renewal and restart, we have to make priority to be. Not to do. Doing is important, but we have to be first. And I got to just say, it's really hard. Would you say it's really hard? Am I not the only one? I think part of why it's so hard is because of what we believe about abundance and scarcity and about productivity and effort. So then we come to this scene where one day Jesus is standing by this lake and the people are crowding around him and they're wanting to hear the word of God, which is interesting because they're listening to the word of God. Jesus isn't actually speaking at that moment, or is he? So, and he sees these boats at the edge, so he, he goes to those boats. He sees an opportunity. There's a bunch of people. They want to listen to the word of God. They're listening to the word, but I can't speak the word to all these people and have them listen. Oh, there's a boat. If I go out in the water, the water will amplify the sound. I'll do that. And there's some fishermen. I'll just ask one of the fishermen. He asks the fisherman, who is always the first to respond, who seems to have a hard time slowing down, and who is always the one to grab other people. Jesus has sneaky ways of helping us be still. Peter, can I use, Simon, still Simon at this point. Simon Peter, can I use your boat? So Simon Peter has to get in the boat and he has to sit. I'm guessing he's listening. Maybe he's cleaning a net. Maybe it's a little fidget device so that he can listen. And Jesus teaches the people. But remember, it says in the reading that they caught nothing. They were cleaning empty nets. What, how do you think you'd feel if you fished all night and you caught nothing? You can answer. I'd love to hear. Hungry, okay? Frustrated, defeated, tired, disappointed. Oh, failure. Annoyed. I think these are all legitimate. Now, I have to just say that, like, I don't think we have any commercial fishermen here or fisherwomen. So, when I fish, and I'm not either, so when I fish, I, convenience trumps production or catching something all the time. I'll go out at four in the afternoon, go for a couple hours. If I have a cold beverage and a nice conversation, I don't care if I catch any fish. But I've fished with people who are fisher people. Like 2.30 in the morning, let's get up and catch fish. Let's put 200 feet of line out and drag for, you know, 25, 30-pound walleye, okay? I'd rather be catching sleep, so if I'm not catching fish then, I'm, I'm not feeling it. 
These are commercial fishermen. This is their livelihood. So I think a better question would be, what if I'm doing something that I'm good at, that I know I can be productive in, it's my vocation, and I'm getting horrible results. Hashtag Dan Carlson. Vikings kicker no more. <laughs> See, if I'm doing something I'm good at, that I feel proficient and efficient in, then I want to be productive and efficient and successful. And if I'm not, I'm not as polite to the people around me. It makes me question if I'm doing the right thing. I, I have to believe that Peter might be feeling some of these things because he's human. We don't know what he was feeling, but I think in that moment, it'd be really hard for me to just sit around and listen to some teaching, even if it is Jesus. But again, I think Jesus has sneaky ways of helping us to be still. Peter, will you put your nets out for a catch? He could have responded in lots of ways. Uh, Jesus, you grew up being a carpenter. I grew up being a fisherman. So how about you stick to carpentry? I'll stick to fishing. Or we've already tried that. We're not going to try it again. Or uh, it's, it's light, light out. The sun is shining. There are no fish here. They're all down deep. You don't catch fish at 10 in the morning. He could have done any of those things. But I think that I think maybe there is another facet to his request. Because Peter is a fisherman. Simon is a fisherman. If he's a fisherman, he wants to catch fish. He feels like he's doing what he was made to do if he's catching fish. And in that moment, he's wondering, am I even doing what you've created me to do, God? Maybe. I think Jesus is showing Peter, Simon Peter, who he is and who God is. And if we stop to be still and that's all we do, I think we've missed it. I mean, there are all kinds of studies on mindfulness and about being present in the moment, but if all we do is to stop and be still, well, yes, we will have a lower level of stress. But spiritually, we will have missed it. We stop to be still so we can hear from God. That's why Jesus went into this wilderness, went into this solitary place. He didn't just do it to get away from people. He did it to hear from his Father. That's what we're invited to, to hear from God. Jesus, or Peter, Simon Peter, hears from Jesus in this moment. Jesus is God. We need to stop to be still, to know that he's God. And when we hear from God, we will get big responses. First, usually, is amazement, because it's not probably God if you're not amazed. Amazement in this moment looked like a boatload, two boatloads of fish. It says the nets were going to break and the boats began to sink. And they're kind of in the middle of this large sea. And when Simon Peter saw this, 
Luke 5, 8. He fell at his knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished, amazed, marveled at the catch of fish. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were amazed. And when you hear from God, I think you'll be amazed. But I also think you'll be afraid. In fact, I have a friend who says, if you're not afraid, it's probably not from God. He wants to, I, I might even say scare you enough to know that you need him in whatever you're facing. He doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants you to do it together with him. All through the scriptures, Jesus, God, the Lord, the God of creation invites us into this relationship, this partnership where, where we can work with God, not all by ourselves. I think Simon Peter realizes who he is in this moment and who God is. I think he realized if, if Jesus can see through this deep water, like deep down, then he can see right through my soul. And if he can see through my soul, I don't know what, I don't, I don't want him to see that. Go away from me, Lord. See, I think we're far more broken than we want to admit. And yet, we are far more loved than we dare realize. I mean, Jesus knows Simon Peter. He loves Simon Peter. He created Simon Peter. And if Simon Peter's just focused on himself and his accomplishments, then I can see why he would feel guilty or depressed. Maybe he's not amazed with his work because he's too focused on his work. Maybe that's why you and I feel bad about where we are because we're so focused on how we're doing or what we're doing. But yet when we focus on what God is doing, we'll be amazed. Jesus, boatload of fish, two boatloads of fish, more than Simon Peter and his partners could have ever imagined. That's why their boats began to sink. Never before, and their nets began to break. Never before had they caught that many fish, had been doing what they thought they were good at doing. When we focus on Christ's work in us, I think we'll be amazed. And if you have a problem with being who God created you to be, maybe you're more focused on who you're trying to be for God. See, Jesus says to Simon Peter, don't be afraid, which tells me he was afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. They left everything and followed him. What do you need to leave behind? More important, what's God calling you and inviting you to leave behind? Do you need to admit that potentially you have an unhealthy relationship with a plastic and glass object? That you think because you can access information from anywhere in the world that makes you slightly powerful, maybe slightly significant. And if you draw your worth from it, it's also an idol. Do you need to maybe leave behind checking your social media feeds as a first activity for your day. 
I mean, think about does spending more time on social media make you more grateful, more joyful? Does hearing every bit, bleep, and catching every notification help you feel more fulfilled or cause your stress level to skyrocket? So maybe you need to unplug once in a while. See, I think if we're going to live with intention, with meaning, with purpose, we have to stop, not just to stop to be still, but to stop to hear from Jesus and to hear from him who you and I are becoming, not who we are now. Jesus loves who we are now, but he sees who we are becoming, and he helps us to get there. So they don't just drop something. That's, not, that's religion if it's just don't do something. It's they left this to do this. What is Jesus inviting you to? What does it look like for your life and for my life to fish for people? Just one, might be just one thing. We don't prioritize it to look holy or religious. We prioritize it because we want to be amazed. We want to be a little bit afraid. We want to know that if God's not in it, it won't happen. Maybe it's a question of trying something new to connect with God. Because with I'm still and I embrace his goodness and I look at his presence and I declare his beauty, I am more joyful. I am more patient. I am more loving. I think I'm more fun. doesn't take a long time, but it does take a focused time. Some people call it a quiet time. Some people call it solitude. Some people call it devotions. I think it's part of what restoration calls being authentic people. We're not perfect, and we don't pretend to be. So we're just going to be our ordinary selves and discover who Jesus is. That means we choose to not live distracted, but live with intention. That might be something that you're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to live with intention and not be distracted. We choose not to live behind masks, but to live openly and vulnerably. Yeah, I'm going to live openly and vulnerably. I'm going to choose not to pretend to be perfect, not to distort, put my best filtered self online. I'll just be myself, and I'll depend on Jesus. And the older I get, the more I realize that I have to do that. It's not optional. It's not about trying harder or being disciplined. It's breath and life. It's part of going below the surface because I know Jesus sees below the surface. So in just a moment, Kara's going to come up and share a couple opportunities that that might be your next step that is about leaving something and following in some way. But the question really is, what do you need right now in this season of your life in order to grow into the person that God says you're becoming? Because I believe he is saying something to you. What do you need in this season 
in order to grow. Would you pray with me? God, you're here. And sometimes we mistake you for teaching or sometimes we think that you're just around and not saying something, but you are the God who sees below the surface of the water and below the surface of our lives. You are the God who loves us even when we don't love ourselves. You're the God who doesn't judge us based on our accomplishments or our success or our efficiency or even what we do. You're the God who loves us because of who we are and whose we are. But you do more than just love us, God. You love us in a way that actually transforms our lives if we let you to be the people that you see us becoming. So I just pray that your Holy Spirit right now would say, would tell us what we need in this season. God, I pray that we would make it a priority to hear from you because we want to hear from you, because we want to be amazed, because we want to go below the surface, because we want to be a part of what it means to fish for people, to be a part of kingdom business, wherever we're at. And some of us need to confess that we have We participate in these endless cycles of doing and being and competing and achieving and we need rest for our souls. And you are the God who says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are exhausted, and I will give you rest. God, would you give us rest? Jesus, would you be our savior? We confess that we're done trying harder. Speak to us.